in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. This weekend, I got to play judge. It was a weekend unlike the ones that I've had in the past. It was Christmas tree season in the Crass household. Which means we went out to the tree farm and we took a look to figure out which tree had what it took to grace the inside of the Crass house. For for years and years and years, I remember going out and doing this with my family and I would run around and I would look to find the biggest, fattest, ugliest tree we could find and I'd say, that's the one But this year, it's our house. And in our house, we're going to have perfection. So we walked through, judgmentally, not that one. Too green, not green enough. Too tall, not tall enough. There's a hole, there's a problem. Don't like the way that one's tilted. We walked through and we got to do this thing where we judged every single tree that we walked by until we found that that nine feet of glory that could finally hold a place in our living room, the perfect Christmas tree. And we knocked it down, and now it's in our living room. But as I was doing this, I, I couldn't help but think, what if God did that? What if God crossed his arms and he said, not that one. Too many holes in that one. No integrity in that one. No love for his spouse in that one. I thought about God as our judge, and I thought about the reading that we have for today where where it's very clear that God is going to be our judge And so in preparation, John the Baptist calls his contemporaries, and yes, he calls us, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Essentially, he's saying what what kids have been saying when playing hide-and-seek for a long, long time. 
ready or not, here God, here God comes. But this, unlike last week, feels really, really appropriate as a text for an Advent season. No, we're not seeing John the Baptist before Jesus was alive, but we are seeing John the Baptist before Jesus started his ministry. He's outside of Jerusalem, and he's trying to get everybody ready for Christ's coming to them. And it's not the hot chocolate and silent nights that we've become accustomed to. It's the wild honey and locusts and repent for the kingdom of heaven is nears. But by all accounts, the ministry was going swimmingly. People were showing up, coming out to be baptized and repenting and leaving with comforted hearts. It was a great time. The work of the law was being done. The work of the gospel was being done. Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out. And John's reaction to the Pharisees and the Sadducees seems a little harsh. It seems a little bit out of place. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Clearly, there's something off about the way that those people were approaching baptism. There's something off about the way that those church leaders at the time were approaching repentance. As some type of outside thing, some type of show thing. They wanted to be there for the baptism, but clearly something in their hearts lacked the proper motivation. They lacked the essence of true repentance. And so if we're going to throw that word around today, if we're going to throw the word repentance around, I think it's really important that we figure out, that we define exactly what repentance means to each and every one of us. Because the Pharisees, based on John's reaction, they didn't have it. They thought repentance was something you did to show the people that were following you just how devout of a Christian you were. You know, I googled the parts, the stages of repentance, just to see what other people had to say about it. And it was interesting. I'm going to read you a couple. The first one said that there were six parts. You recognize sin. You feel sorrow over sin. You forsake sin. You confess sin. You make restitution. You forgive others. You keep the commandments of God. I think that's seven. Another one said there were four stages. Godly sorrow over sin, confession of sin, turning from sin, choosing holiness every day. And I kept looking at at different explanations. And it seemed like so many of them were understating or completely omitting one of the key foundational elements of repentance. Did you see it? Faith. Faith in God to actually forgive freely and fully the sins that you are taking to them. They wanted to go from you confessing your sins to you acting very nicely with absolutely nothing in between. They missed the foundational aspects of repentance, and that's faith. According to the Augsburg Confession, one of, one of the Lutheran works, it says... Strictly speaking, repentance consists of two parts. 
One part is contrition, that is terror, striking the conscience through the knowledge of sin. The other part is faith, which is born of the gospel, and believes that for Christ's sake, sins are forgiven. Forgiveness is not just about feeling bad. Repentance is not just about feeling bad. If I stood up here and said, repent, and these are the seven things you need to do, or the seven issues that you've got in your life, amen, have a good day, we would be missing an entire part of God's gift of repentance. That knowledge, deep down, that our sins are fully obliterated. Wiped off the map. I can't imagine living without that knowledge. To trying to go from from recognizing my sin to the next day trying to fix that sin without any grace in the middle. Brothers and sisters, it's impossible. It's impossible for the law to beat us into submission. For us to, to live a life that's pleasing to God just based on us being afraid. No, that's, that's only part of repentance. The full picture is much more beautiful. There are people that, that don't believe fundamentally that they need forgiveness. And it's heartbreaking to see. When people can't see the only, own, their own issues that blind them in their life. Those things that are, are entangling them, that make their lives more difficult, they can't figure out what the issue is and they don't bring them to God. That's what we're looking at with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. People that saw repentance as a cool thing to do, but not all that necessary. And if you think that way, then John the Baptist has some words for you. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And then we see Matthew quote Isaiah as he speaks to us and really shows us exactly how we are to do that. Because maybe that sounds like a tall task. The idea of of preparing your heart. The idea of really examining yourself. The idea of fervently trusting God's work for you. Maybe that sounds all too much. He says, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. I want you to think of this in the realm of your heart. Because the next next verse in Isaiah says, Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain. Who doesn't have mountains in their heart? Those cold prideful mountains that stand between you and Jesus. The ones that maybe cause us to come into church and and look at the words of sin and grace and go, yeah, it looks pretty good. Glad the people around me are doing this. They really need it. But this week, this week I didn't need it so much. Those mountains that make us feel as if we don't need repentance, We don't need to be told about our sin. And we certainly don't need to be forgiven. Those mountains, God says, to obliterate. 
to drop them to the ground so that Christ can make his way in. Who of us doesn't have the valleys? Those valleys in which we feel like we're in the bottom of a pit by ourselves. A dark and deep pit that nobody could possibly find us in. And, and maybe you come and you hear the words of sin and grace and you go, that's not going to be good enough. Simple words, that's not going to do the job. And God says, get rid of those valleys. Repentance is a gift from God in which he reveals to you just how low into your sin he is willing to dive to rescue you from it. That no matter what the background is, no matter what you've done in your life, repentance is for you. Repentance is for the criminal. Repentance is for the worst person we could possibly think of on the outside. Repentance is for every single one of us. But moreover, it's a gift. No, we don't just want to be forgiven on our own. Those urges, those desires for repentance, those in and of themselves are a very gift from God. One of the most incredible things is the fact that we are able to come before God and say those words of sin and grace every Sunday. And I know maybe sometimes they seem a little repetitive. Maybe they seem just a touch mundane. But do you know why that is? Do you know why we use the same few every single week? So that kids, when they're five years old, can start to understand those words can hear them over and over again, can, can imprint them in their minds and in their hearts so that they're able to recite them from memory. Why do we do the same ones? So that when you are in that knockdown, drag-out fight with your spouse, those words rattle around in your mind. Merciful Father in heaven, I am altogether sinful from birth. In countless ways I've sinned against you and do not deserve to be called your child. But trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We are able to make repentance a part of our daily lives. Or what about when we get a little older and the memory begins to go? It is shocking how many pastors I've heard from that say, yes, there are people that they don't know their names one morning, but the moment you launch into that confession absolution, those words of sin and grace, the eyes light up and they know their sin and they know their forgiveness. We use those same words so that repentance can become as natural in our life as breathing. That every single day, the amount of inhales and exhales are the amount of, Lord, I'm so sorry, and Lord, thank you for saving me. It's our very breath. It's our very life. And it's a gift from God that all of a sudden changes the way that we see him when we view him as our judge. John the Baptist speaks some terrifying words at the end of this section of verses. He says, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand 
and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When salvation is about you, then all of a sudden the judgment becomes about you. But when salvation is about what God has done for you, then the judgment becomes about what God has done for you. The idea of judgment isn't a popular one in society. That's like the worst thing you can be called, right, is judgmental. The worst thing anybody would want to be is be called a a judgy or, or a preachy person. And I think there's really two reasons behind that. And I think the first one is is legitimate. Oftentimes when we see somebody as judgmental, it's sometimes because they are judging with the wrong motivations or the wrong measuring stick, the way that we sinful, flawed human beings so often do. But the second one is a less legitimate reason to not like the judge. It's because our sinful nature doesn't like when people point out bad things about us. Even if it is a completely legitimate, valid critique, we don't want it shown to us. Like when I slam on the brakes in my car and I almost give Jamie whiplash and and she looks over at me with just a little bit of concern, all of a sudden that irrational frustration comes up in my heart even though I was the one that did something clearly wrong against my own safety and the safety of others. Yeah, we don't like even the legitimate things about ourselves to be pointed out. But what John is saying is, brothers and sisters, it's not my axe at the root of the tree. It's not your parents' axe at the root of the tree. It's not the elders' axe at the root of the tree. It's not your pastor's axe at the root of the tree Ready or not, God will judge. God will judge the righteous and he will judge the unrighteous. There's no one who's going to escape it. But we get to be in a unique position. We can even look forward to the judgment. Because we know that we're not judged based on our works. We're judged based on the works of the judge. The one who came into this world, lived an innocent life, died an innocent death, and then took that innocence and gave it to us. It's it's like a sham trial in which God, who is the judge, has compassion on us. It's as if a father who's the judge looks at his child who is the defendant and our God refuses to recuse himself. Because of Christ, the judgment isn't concerning. In fact, brothers and sisters, because of that gift of repentance, we can look forward to the judgment. I dare even say we can love the judge. Amen.